Well, good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Eric Hansen. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, can I tell you, first of all, how glad I am that you are here, but actually maybe on this particular Sunday, I'm even more glad uh, that I'm here. I've been gone for a number of weeks uh, for a combination of some vacation and uh, some study leave time. And I just want to begin by saying uh, thank you for your generosity with me and uh, for other aspects of our staff who get to be away for this kind of time. This particular summer has uh, just been gloriously personally renewing to me. And a couple weeks ago, when Ray Donatucci was here of uh, finishing up our series on Revelation, I know he told you a little bit about where I was. I was on this bicycle trip through the Canadian Rockies, kind of a reunion trip with the man who led me to the Lord. And I just wanted to show you a couple of those pictures. So this is our first day of riding. We look kind of happy and fresh in this picture. You might not be able to tell with the resolution here. Uh, Larry Brown, the man who led me to the Lord, is sort of fourth on the left, and I am uh, a couple over from him. It was really an exquisite and beautiful time. So this is our first day. This is our last day picture. Um, I'm taking the picture so you don't have to look at my particular rear end. But um, in the middle of those times was just this extraordinary sharing of uh, God's work in our lives. I got to revisit uh, the path, probably not the exact place, but the path where I first said yes uh, to Jesus 31-odd years ago. And because then I was invited to help lead him, lead with him over several years after that, I also um, was given the chance to sit in the first place where I ever led a Bible study and a devotion. I got to revisit the rock where I sat and, and prayed for um, God to relieve someone's burden uh, for the first time. So it just felt like a really important and a beautiful touchstone uh, for me as we head into now uh, year eight uh, for me in just a couple of weeks is my anniversary of my time here. And again, I just want to say a thank you for um, all of what this summer uh, has meant for me. So this year, we are right now, today, sort of launching into the, our next sort of annual theme. Over the last couple of years, we have sought to provide some clarity and focus to our life together by giving us sort of a theme of sort of understanding some aspect of what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Two years ago, we started with this theme that we called Eats Together, which is really a theme on hospitality. Ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intention. Then last year, we spent the whole year reminding one another that we are called to be anchored to Scripture. That we're supposed to be reading Scripture together, that we might let it form us and shape us and help us cast our imagination in some new and compelling way. And today, we start this year's theme, Love Local. Tip O'Neill for those of you who uh, might know uh, that name, was Speaker of the House, I think in the 70s, before I was aware of politics. But he said this famous thing that I certainly have heard many people quote over time. All politics is local. You ever heard that phrase before? Yeah. Tip O'Neill said it over and over and over again as a way to say, doesn't matter how big the idea is, and aren't we hearing a lot of big ideas right now from our presidential candidates? doesn't matter like what the big overarching theme is. What really matters is how it touches individual personal lives. 
If politics doesn't actually make a difference or do something in your own life, then it's just talk. And as it turns out, the Christian life is always local. Just like all politics is local, following Jesus is always local. It is not possible for you to to follow Jesus here and live in China. It's not possible to, to live here and follow Jesus in Boston. The only way you can do it is by looking down, looking up, and loving what's right in front of you. That's what you do. And you're going to hear that phrase so many times this year, you're, you're going to dream about it. And that's kind of what I want. That we find some way to compellingly encourage one another to love local, to follow Christ right where we are. And I love that. But I also have a little bit of some concern about it that I want to share with you. The problem with this theme of sort of loving local is it can pretty quickly in our own hearts become just, just simple do-goodism. Where the whole point of the Christian life is to just do good things and, and be nice people. It, become, it can become sort of a way to, for us to sort of climb after sort of spiritual bonus points. Loving local can become this thing where we set ourselves up as, this, as the hero and as the savior of our story. That we're the ones who are doing it. And yet what we're going to talk about today, and we'll probably bring up many times, is actually um, it's not our story only. In fact, we play a vital and important but second place role. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How can we love local? and make sure we don't become the hero. So let's pray, shall we? And we'll dive in. Lord, we thank you for the way you've pulled us together today. I'm so personally grateful that I get to be with this group of people. We come before you, and and we do pray that you have been pleased and honored and, and glorified by the way that we've sung your praises where we've come before you in prayer, where we've given ourselves um, to you financially and in word and in deed. And now, Lord, we come to your word. And Lord, one of the things that I know is we often imitate the God that we think that we know. That our lives do indeed get shaped more and more by the, by the God we imagine. And sometimes that God is overly permissive. We've uh, imagined a God who's sort of a, a toothless and, and powerless grandpa. And sometimes we imagine a God who is judgmental and angry, who wants to shame us. But Lord, today in your word, would you show us what is true? Would you help us to imitate not who we think you are, but who you really are? Would your words become a bright light in our life? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. 
You are our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. And all God's people said, okay. So all four of the um, Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all sort of tell a very extraordinarily, really very similar story, sometimes with just a slight different angle on it. Slight different audience. Something, something um, gets sort of augmented in one story and changed slightly uh, for another person. If you've ever told a, a story to multiple people, one time in the workplace and another at your family reunion, same story, but the way you tell it, what it sounds like, can sometimes feel different. But what is absolutely 100% sure is this. Every single one of them begins with this proclamation. The Messiah is here. That there is something desperately wrong with humanity. That's sort of assumed. That actually it turns out that we are, we are trapped. Other parts of the Bible say actually that we are ensnared by sin and the devil. That there's something about our life that we don't get to actually know and live into and breathe the fullness of God's grace. So God has come in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, that we might know love and to give us freedom. God has not come to terrify or judge or constrain, but to remove the shackles of sin that we have. In the Gospel of Mark, as we heard uh, from Stan Benjamin, one of our elders, um, the Gospel of Mark has it like this. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This kingdom is seeking to break into this kingdom of captivity that we have now that forces us to live into a false story about who we are and why we matter and who we are to others. Jesus announces freedom from that human captivity. Those forces of sin and of evil and of brokenness, Jesus says, God opposes them. And this is the good news. What we see around us, the brokenness that we see and maybe even possess, is not the end of the story. Because, friends, here's what we know. Here's what seems abundantly obvious. We can see what's broken around us, can we not? But I want to tell you something. There's no amount of policy making. There's no amount of sort of law writing. There's no amount of education or of innovation or of discipline. There's no amount of hard work that we can do that will ever accomplish what we need the most. But in our humanity, boy, do we try. Let me say it to you again. There's no amount of policy, no matter what our politicians say. There's no amount of lawmaking. There's no amount of education. There's no amount of technological innovation that will ever accomplish what we need the most, which is to be set free.
the Gospel of Luke, Jesus announces his coming uh, in a slightly different way, but there's certainly similarities of overtones. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and re- pardon me, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus, as God's son and as agent, has, has come to confront that which we can never win over by ourselves. And here's what he's come to do. He's, he's come to proclaim the good news. He's come to give us freedom where we've been shackled. He's come to give abundance to those who are oppressed. He's come to provide for those who only know poverty. Not just financial, but spiritual. He has come to abolish oppression of every kind. He has come to proclaim God's favor. How many of you know that God looks on you with favor? Is that the first word you use? Or is your word more like judgment or disdain? But the constant proclamation of the gospel is that God looks on you with favor. Do you know that? Do your friends know that? Does this town? This is the hope of the gospel, that we are in the year, we are in the era of God's favor. And we get to proclaim that God is at work. That we get to have um, access to his salvation even as we straddle that which is true about salvation and what is still yet to come about salvation. The middle of that is God's favor. Relationally, we already have it and we wait and long for it to come in its full form when he returns. We live and the in-between. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Believe the good news. Turn and trust. Allow yourselves to be embraced by God's rule, breaking in. Now here's the most astonishing thing about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus makes this incredible proclamation about himself that sort of bears itself out in history and in the rest of the story. He conquers death. 
No policy is ever going to do that for us. And what's really interesting, even as he says, I've come to do this, to to inaugurate my reign, to give freedom, to proclaim an abundance and of God's favor and against poverty and oppression and hurt and pain and shackles. He says, hey, follow me. Every time, every gospel, he says, you join me in this. Come on, follow me. Let's be part of this story together. It's almost like he's saying, I am the way to life and to freedom. Because guess what? He is the way to life and to freedom. And when we say yes to him, we're on a journey with him to some distant land we cannot see. But we know the king that will be there. Somehow, from the very beginning, Jesus has said, I'm going to include you in this story. Brendan Byrne, um, a Jesuit in Australia, writes it this way. Mm -hmm. No? All right. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't have the quote in my notes. It's going to be great. This is basically what he says is this. The avenue of transformation in the world by God's grace is human faith. The avenue, the way that anything's going to change here is by human faith. We are included in his plan. I did write it. Here it is. Human faith is the channel for the transforming power of the kingdom of God in human lives and in the world. We're in. As God seeks to be known as his kingdom and its fingers sort of work its way into our world and culture, we are the way that God has sought to do that. If people are going to know God's favor, people are going to have a chance to interact, interact with God's plan, we are vital to the story. We're in it. We're part of it. It's God's gospel. We're on the team. So if we're going to do that, What's it going to look like for us? I'm not kidding when I say I have five points, but don't worry. They're going to go fast. Here's the first one. First, be second. Write that one down. It's really important. First, be second. If we're going to do this in some way that's not about salvation of ourselves or or being our own heroes, then the first thing we need to know is actually we follow someone else. Someone else sort of charting the way for us. We have a leader. We are not out in front. When Jesus says, follow me, what he means is something um, more than sort of follow sort of around in the sand. He doesn't mean sort of like, you know, put on some sandals and find some desert. 
It means let him lead. Let him lead. The values that we discover and see in Jesus Christ, they need to become our values. His favor needs to become our favor. The, the power that he's left in the Holy Spirit gets to become our power. His gentleness gets to become our gentleness. He says, let that be the thing that's out in front of you. Come follow me. I am what's out in front. And you know what I've learned over uh, this summer in some interesting ways is, is I really, really sort of like that idea in theory, but in reality, I, I, I really like to be in front. I like my own ways and values to sort of carry the day. It's almost like I sometimes think that Jesus said, will you stand up so I can follow you? It's almost like sometimes I feel like Jesus says, Eric, you're great. Can, can I just admire your greatness? And what I've learned actually is if, if I'm actually going to be part of God's story and plan, it needs to be another way. Uh, one of the men on this trip has just bought an absurdly uh, expensive like, sprinter van. You know what a sprinter van is? Like a little Mercedes, like camper, exquisite, it's beautiful. And uh, one night as we're running around a couple last minute errands before we start this trip to uh, Canada, he says, hey, watch this. And we're like on this little kind of country road in Snoqualmie Falls. And he hits this switch. And these lights that I did not see kind of above, um, above the cab, like this whole light bar of these LED, like 600,000 watt bulbs, I don't even know, like shine way, way out in front of us. And these light bulbs are kind of underneath the car, shine way, way out in front of us. And all of a sudden, I can see things I could not see in the dark. And when we're second, what ends up happening is we get to see things in the dark in a new way. Because Jesus, we've let Jesus, the light of the world, pave our path. We get to see those things in a way that usually we just think of them as dark and as hard, maybe confusing. But with the light of Christ, we get to see them as God's favor. Something that gets to be part of God's plan. And we get to follow him into it. So, first, be second. I know you're going to, to um, like me, you're going to want to be like, ah, gosh, I, you know, I, really, I really like that idea, but, but really what I want to do is I, I want to I avoid eye contact. I want to look down, look up, look away. Right? But that's not the Jesus way. So often we find ourselves in a relationship, we want to sort of look down, look up, punch our way to first. My way. We look up, we look down, we look up. And really we're just like, actually, I don't want to do that. I want to keep my hands clean. I don't want to have that conversation with my coworker. I don't want to acknowledge that person who needs food. I'd rather just watch the buffs. This year we're going to talk a lot about sort of recalibrating our sense of investment in God's kingdom. So, first, be second. Second, 
be second. Second, be second. This is not just sort of about our ethos and our values. It's, it's also in our sense of direction. Oftentimes, this passage, this Mark passage, um, come and follow me, and so they put down their nets, is, is often used for people who um, sort of are exploring their sense of call. I heard God call, and I left behind what I did, and, I'm, and now I'm in full-time ministry. It's a passage that's often used to sort of explore the call to, to full-time ministry. And it might be that there are even some people in this room who, who have been ignoring that call because they don't want to do that. And friends, come on. The Lord calls, you're going to lose. The sooner you say yes, the better. But also, this is a way for us to understand what does it mean for us to simply live our life vocationally where we are, even if we're not called into full-time ministry? What if that's not supposed to be my gig? Well, let's think a little bit more about the men that Jesus called. They were, as you know, fishermen. And what may not be as obvious here is it's probably their father, great-father, uh, grandfather, great-grandfather, even great-great-grandfather were also in the fishing business. They had a sense of their horizon. They sort of knew what their life was, was going to sort of turn out to be like. They were actually, it turns out, were doing a lot of the things that we do in their own first century context. They were just pursuing safety, security for their families, comfort for how they were called to live. That's not much different from you, is it? Or from me? So much of our life is about striving for comfort for safety, and for security as, as we define it. But then Jesus calls and says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And what's interesting about that is this um, those first followers and the followers after have, have always sought to then put aside their own definitions of safety, security, and comfort. They've put it away. They put their own horizon second. God has a story for us to step into and follow Him into it. God was calling them to a new life, an abundant life. And they said yes. Now, here's something interesting I want to point out to you. They got to keep their job title. As they were called to follow Jesus, they got to keep their job title. They were fishers of slimy fish. Now they're fishers of people. And what's important to that that I want to say to you is, is you might be called to ministry in some new title, but, but what we see here actually is at God's asking us in Christ for us to, to recast whatever our job is. Follow me, he says to the lawyers, and, and I will help you proclaim the law of grace. People who come in and out of your office and work with you can, can know something of my person and character by the way you, you practice law. To the teachers, he says, come and, and follow me. 
And while you have sought to taught a, a content area and shape people, now you will get to point to something greater than all of the content ever explored in the world. He looks to the engineers. He says, come, follow me. You seek to solve problems. Now I will help you to live the solution of hope for the world. How do we do that? We're second. We let him define the horizon, not us. He's first. We're second. Okay, first, be second. Second, be second. Third, be second. Fourth, be second. Fifth, be second. And I decided to skip the next five points because you already know what they are. See, we are people who are prone to personal idolatry. And at any moment, we're going to find ourselves sort of slipping back into the front, kind of pushing and nudging him aside. But friends, this is the way not only to love local, but to live life. To allow the Lord to define our steps and to pull us into what he has in store for us. We're not the heroes. Jesus is. Be second. We find ourselves loving what he already loves. We find ourselves sort of going to work on something and he's already working there. We find ourselves wanting to declare favor and we find out God has already been blessing it in a way we couldn't even see or imagine. Friends, as we start to live this year of sort of loving local, let me just say to you one more time, in all things, be second. Look for Jesus. Follow him there. Look down. Look up. Love what's right in front of you. So as we end today, can I just ask you a quick question? A little sort of moment of self-assessment. If you've been a high school or middle school student, uh, you've had lots of opportunities for self-assessment, lots of little quizzes. Let's see how much chemistry you remember, all that. Here's one more. And for those of you who don't go to school anymore, maybe it's time. At least the school of discipleship. Where have you been putting yourself first? Where have you jumped the line? Even sneakier, oftentimes we can jump the line trying to convince ourselves that really we're doing it to serve someone else. Oftentimes we can sort of uh, be insistent about our way to make it look like we're actually serving God. Where have you jumped the line? Where have you put yourself first? Where is Jesus' values and Jesus' sense of direction for your life? Where have you put them aside? We're prone to it. Friends, Be second.
Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for this text and its reminder to, to get up and to know the Lord of life and to follow him. Lord, every single one of us in some relationship, some workplace story, some dream of ours, we are holding on as if um, our dream is the best dream. Lord, would you help us today, this week, throughout this fall, to let go, to allow ourselves to be second, to love what you've put right in front of us. Lord, this will be hard work for me and probably for us. Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit and help us discover that you are always in front of us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.